joking with Vanessa earlier during the, David was doing the greet time, because I usually get letters to sign and uh, for visitors, and I like to write a little note on there, and I haven't gotten any for, for a few months. I was feeling a little self-conscious, you know, like, why, why aren't we, why aren't visitors, we're vis- we always have visitors here. And I found out, because she's been signing my name for me, <laughs> and, uh, and writing the little, she said, yeah, but I've been doing the note just like you do. And I said, I, you know, I said, I don't know, people might be saying that, that, that pastor, his, his, he writes like a woman. I don't know. I don't know. And she said, no, no, no. I've been writing very masculine, very masculine handwriting. I was like, all right, all right. Oh, it's so great. Things we do to prepare our hearts for preaching. Those are the conversations we have right there. Little, little pull back the curtain there to real life at the City Life Church. Hey, you know, coming into the holidays, we've already talked a lot about traditions. Can I just say this is one of my favorite right here for Thanksgiving? Anybody else into the, the gelatinous cranberry sauce? I know, right? There's only a few of us left, and we have to fight to keep the tradition alive. Right? We can't let there be a time in history where, where in America people will go, what is that? Right? Okay, I'm just saying, starting a movement right here. You know why I have this can? Because I joked about this a few years ago, and Seth and Carolyn Bridges, who used to be a part of the church, and then the Air Force moved them out to, to one of the Dakotas, and uh, they brought me this the next week. Right? And I know I was supposed to eat it that year, but I was like, I know I want to keep it. And now it's like a keepsake in my office. And when I see it, I think of them. And it reminds me to pray for them. And it reminds me one of the reasons why I get excited about Thanksgiving. You've got traditions at your house. We've got traditions at our house. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. There's all kinds of traditions. But you know what we find often in religion? Is that traditions become a practice that have lost sight of their meaning. That traditions become a practice that have lost sight of their meaning. And since we're going to be spending an extended time in prayer tonight, I thought we would talk about, because of the season that we're in with traditions, is where did this tradition come from that as Christians, that when we pray, we end by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. And it could be that for you, That's become a practice that's lost sight of its meaning. John 14, 13 to 15, this is Jesus. He says, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son of Man can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, this verse and a few other verses in the New Testament we're able to point to when we understand that as Christianity was birthed after the resurrection of Christ, that's what the book of Acts is, right, is about. So the Acts of the Apostles, it's the birthing of this new movement, it's the birthing of the church, that, that there was this practice of actually stating Jesus' name at the end of the prayer because they said, this is what Jesus told us to do. And so it became a tradition. But it's important that we understand what praying in Jesus' name is about. And Jesus explains that to us in verse 15. Now, I like to read the New Living Translation as my everyday Bible, but a lot of my go-to Bibles, which I'll talk about in a few more minutes, if I want to do a deeper study, I like to look at the New American Standard, and I also like to look at the King James. And what I find in the New Living Translation, the Bible that I use, there is a heading that has been inserted in between verses 14 and 15 where Jesus begins a new discourse on the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible is divinely inspired. The headings and the subheadings are not. Are you tracking with me? 
The headings and the subheadings is because somebody made a decision to say that Jesus is changing the subject. But 15 is not supposed to go with 16. 15, I believe, is supposed to go with 14. Because 15 is Jesus' answer to the question, what does it mean to pray in his name? And in 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. See, Jesus was trying to help the disciples to understand that when you come to a moment of prayer, when you come to a conversation with God and you want to talk with him about something that you believe that you need or somebody else needs, he's saying, pray in my name. And what that doesn't mean is that we're reminding God of some contractual obligation that he has with us. What it doesn't mean is reminding God that he owes us something because we've made a vow of devotion to Christ. What it doesn't mean is that God needs to be reminded that we're one of his children. We don't need to remind God of those things. Jesus says, praying in my name, when you say in Jesus' name, what you're saying is you're making a promise to yourself that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You see, Jesus was saying that every time you come to me in a moment of prayer, it's an opportunity for you to declare again your devotion. See, every prayer should at first end with a promise. Every prayer should end with a declaration of your devotion. Every prayer should end with a commitment that you're willing to defer to Christ at every turn in your life life. If for you, praying in Jesus' name has become a tradition that has lost sight of their meaning, I hope that it rediscovers its meaning tonight. It's your opportunity to say to Jesus, I want to follow your lead all the time. Now, depending on your life role, whether or not you work inside the home or outside of the home, you understand whether it's in life and community or again life in the workplace, there are times where you might be taking the lead and then there are times where you have to follow someone else's lead. Even in church life, there's times, even for me as the lead pastor, there's times where I'm taking the lead, but there are also times that I'm following the lead of other people. This is part of the flow of life and the human experience. But in our relationship with Christ, he should always be the one that we're following. There should never be a moment in our life where it feels as though we're trying to get Christ to follow our lead. And if it does, then our relationship with him is out of balance. Prayer isn't just about asking God for something, although that's important. We're given great permission to do that in our life as the children of God. But also, we're given this incredible responsibility to live our lives in such a way that we're always deferring to Christ at every turn. Every perspective, every motivation, every lifestyle choice that we make. That when we pray, saying in Jesus' name, first and foremost, is my way of saying, Jesus, I'm following you. No matter why we came to him, no matter what we're talking to him about, no, no matter what our need is, no matter why we're praying for someone else, every time I pray, it's my opportunity to say, Jesus, 
I'm following you. It's an opportunity for us to make a promise. And it's not just an opportunity to make a promise, it's an opportunity to declare a praise. Somebody say praise. John 3, verse 3, reads this way. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And if I jump down to verse 5, it says, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So again, this is another example. This is New Living Translation. This is my everyday reading Bible. But here in the beginning of verse 3, it says, I tell you the truth. And there in the beginning of verse 5, it says, I assure you. But if you look in the New American Standard or if you look in the King James, there's this fancy word there, verily, verily. Now some of those fancy words, I get it, in the King James, that they need to be modernized. But sometimes through the modernization of the language, we lose the meaning. There's a reason why Jesus, in his conversation with Nicodemus, began his conversation with him saying a very specific word that had a very specific meaning to Nicodemus. Because these are both Jewish men that were raised in the Jewish tradition. They both understood the Hebrew Scriptures in great detail. And so as Jesus is sitting down with Nicodemus late one night, Because he's a spiritual leader. He comes at night because he's afraid of being seen. But he's got questions. His heart's burning. There's something about Christ that sets him apart. And as there as they sit in this little room, I get this picture that they're there by this little lamp and there's a gentle glow and Nicodemus is leaning in and Jesus keeps saying something to him. Aman, aman. And then they have a discourse, a conversation, and then Nicodemus asks another question. Jesus says, Aman, Aman. Nicodemus knows what that means because he's familiar with the Old Testament Scripture. He knows Deuteronomy 7, 9. It says, Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God. In Hebrew, that's Aman El. The Old Testament is filled with the names of God. They're incredible names. Some of you are familiar with them, but this is one of the ones that's a little bit more obscure and people often overlook, but not Jesus, because every name that's revealed about God in the Old Testament teaches us something about his heart and his nature and his character and his love for us. And here the Bible tells us that one of the names of God is the Amon El, which translates in the Hebrew, the faithful God. And so as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he keeps saying, Amon, Amon. Aman, aman. That translates, verily, verily. Because Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I want you to understand, with the same trust that you put in God because you understand him to be the Aman El, you can put that same trust in me because he and I are one. Now we know Nicodemus, at some point, He became a follower of Christ because after his death, it was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who came and advocated for Christ's body to be prepared, not knowing that he wasn't going to be there. Come on, that's Easter coming, Jesus. But at some point, that conversation became popularized in Christianity And this little phrase that represents the name of God, Aman, became a practice. That at some point, and we don't know who did it first or when it happened, 
But somebody reached back to that story and thought to themselves, this would be a great way to finish our prayers as Christians. And aman eventually became the English word, amen. Now, there's no Greek word for the Hebrew word aman, right? And so they did what's often done. It's a transliteration. They took the Greek alphabet and they made a phonetic spelling of it using that. And then eventually that's what happened with the English language. We didn't have a word for that either. And so we took our alphabet and made a phonetic spelling. But for 2,000 years, Christians have been saying this word at the end. Now, see, you've spent your whole life thinking amen was your way to signal to other people I'm done talking. You spent your whole life waiting to hear that word because you thought it meant now I can finally eat the food that's in front of me, right? It could be that your kids have just grown up thinking that, that amen is Christian code For we can stop talking to God now and resume our conversations with each other. And if that's all that it's been for you, then you have been practicing something that's lost its meaning. Because at some point, this word amen, it meant something. It was a way to put a capstone on every prayer, and it was a praise of declaration for your trust in Him. It was your way... And it should be our way that every time we pray, not only do we say in Jesus' name because we recognize that I'm supposed to make a promise, it reminds my heart and conditions my will to follow his lead. Every time I pray, I say in Jesus' name. It's my promise. I want to follow after your lead. And then I say amen because it's my way of saying, God, everything that we just talked about, Everything, no matter how impossible it might be, I declare that I believe that you're the Amonel, that you're the faithful God. You're the faithful God. So my hope is that we enter into this season of traditions, that the tradition of prayer is a regular part of the practice of your life, that it's a regular part of the practice of your family. And then as you're raising your kids, as you're talking with others, that there's going to be an occasion for you to explain. There's going to be an opportunity for you to answer the question. So as the tradition passes on, that it doesn't get passed on without the meaning that goes with it. That every time we say in Jesus' name, amen, it's our opportunity to make a promise and to give a praise. It's our way of saying, Jesus, we follow your lead. And it's our way of saying, God, we trust you. Because we know that you are able. So I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back up. And I'm going to invite the prayer teams to find their way into their positions. And we're going to take these next 20 or 25 minutes. And as we step back into a time of worship with each other, as we've been doing for many months now. And I think we're going to, be keep, do- we're going to keep doing it for some time. This is an opportunity for us to step into moments of prayer. And I hope that as you pray tonight that you're going to think of this phrase in a whole new light. And I hope that maybe after you come for prayer or maybe before you come for prayer and you're standing out there and worshiping with us that you're going to use these words and these songs that we sing as an opportunity to talk to God about why you believe that he's still the Amon El of today. That it's not just going to be a sing-along for you 
It's not going to be just you passing the time, hoping that 6.30 is going to get here sooner rather than later. It's going to be your chance as a child of God to talk with him about why you trust him and why you love him. And I also hope, I also hope, stand with me. I also hope that as we step into this moment of worship and step into these moments of prayer, that it's going to be an opportunity for all of us, just like we did in communion, just like as Sharon challenged us, that was such a good word, that we're going to use this as an opportunity to again examine our own hearts and ask ourselves the question, are we living an in Jesus' name kind of life? Are we following his lead? Father, I pray that as we step into these moments over these next several minutes that people would recognize the opportunity that you put in front of them an opportunity to come and stand with someone and to have a conversation with you an opportunity to come and stand with someone maybe not to have a conversation with you about a need that they have but recognize that we have an opportunity to stand and intercede for others that all of us tonight would ask ourselves the question, is there somebody that we know who's not here that needs you to move in their life? And that we would come and we would pray for them. Father, that we would not miss the moments that you create for us to ask the God who knows all, the God who has no limits to his power, and the God who is ever-present the faithful Father who always has our best interests at heart, that we would not let these moments pass us by that we have to talk with you. And that in every prayer that we pray, even this one now, we say in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. As we worship, you come for prayer.